If I if I if I subscribe, do I get like a do, will you floss? I mean, you could have not been wearing pants the whole time. How do we do this podcast again? It's like you know, some artists have like a blue period. We'll have a John period. Nowadays, schedules are, are better just because I I have a, a real person job. Yeah, and because I'm an adult now, <laughs> and um, you'll you'll grow up one day, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> farmhouse my name is alex hobbs i'm jordan smart and i'm jonathan ho and uh yeah this is a podcast we bring to you straight from stanford we all live in stanford everyone's looking in stanford you can't prove me wrong about that so our guest today is jonathan ho or also known to us as jono um you 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 introduced yourself to us as jono right when we first met you like yeah that's right yeah that's that's a common thing in australia right like adding vowels to the ends of names and words and stuff yeah it's pretty common so like jonathan becomes jono or dave becomes davo or even tom can become tomo but uh there's actually i don't know how many people i've told but i'm actually not jono in in australia <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know so you, just, you just come to america and turn it up a little bit yeah it was, and it, it's kind of been a little bit of regret in that decision because I didn't realize it wasn't a thing here, and it's just been a little painful in my life explaining this. <laughs> <laughs> so actually now, I mean, everybody in Aero Astro knows me as Jono and people in the cycling team and some other people, but when I meet new people who I don't know if I'm going to, like, you know, be friends with them or see them again, I just don't even bother because it's just too much effort. But uh, <laughs> the reason why I went for Jono was when I, was in, uh, when I went to a new school when I was in fifth grade uh, or grade five, as we call it in Australia. Um, uh, there were three Jonathans and uh, one of them automatically somehow got the nickname Jono and I, I didn't get it and I missed that. <laughs> and then it occurred to me when I came here that I could do anything I wanted. So I just picked it. But uh, yeah, not not the best decision in my opinion. So you're Australian poser. Got it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, I didn't know that they didn't. I just assumed, well, at, at first, because I didn't know this at first. I thought that it was just a change on your name because uh, your last name's Ho, Jonathan Ho. I was yes, like, oh, yeah, Jonathan Ho. Multiple people have thought that yeah. as well. <laughs> and I've so, learned since. Yeah, this is the first that I'm realizing that that's not just, you know, your first and last name. No, so it's very, it is it's confusing. <laughs> I regret causing this confusion, but it's a, it's a funny story now, I guess. Uh, I actually, people at home, everybody calls me Johnny because Jono was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's good. Well, we can call you John or Johnny or, you know, whatever you prefer. Nah, now um, it feels weird in the States to be called Johnny. But unfortunately, I've got some friends from Australia. And then when they mix, everybody gets a little confused. Because, well. okay, so now it feels like your Australian friends are calling you, like, the more Americanized name. Yeah, but it's and... okay. If you can say Johnny in an Australian accent, then it's fine. Uh, okay. I'm not going to try. Anyway, uh, that's cool. I, I'm glad we we talked about. It. I was gonna ask mostly just about like the adding of vowels, and I wasn't sure if it was just a thing with like names in Australia because I I, I mean I haven't been to Australia yet. But oh I, no, I knew we it was do it. We do it to words too. Like I thought uh, you did. Yeah, a gas station is also known as a service station, which is also known as a servo, not a servo motor, just a servo. <laughs> okay, means a of course, gas, it means a gas station. You got koala. Um, but that's just an actual yeah, word. Yeah, that's. I, I thought that was the thing you did, but I wasn't sure. Um, but anyway, uh, so you, you're from Australia. Wh- you know, wh- what city are you from exactly again? Like, where'd you grow up? And, and I'm from I'm from Brisbane. Wh- where do you kind of call home over there? I'm from Brisbane, so it's the third biggest city. It's on the it's on the east coast, but it's really not. I'd describe it as it's not really worth knowing. It's just a really big city, but there's nothing that interesting to do. There's <laughs> okay. a it's got 2 million people, so it's fairly big. Uh, and then close by, there's a city called the Gold Coast, which has become like a kind of a, a huge tourist trap. Uh, it's got lots of beaches, lots of theme parks, and like 
skyscrapers and nightclubs right next to the beach. It's that kind of place. But it's very popular with tourists. So that's probably more well-known than Brisbane. Was that was it like that when you were growing up there, or is that like a very recent change? No, it's been gradual, but it was it, it was it kind of started off like that, and it's just keeps on growing into that. Okay, so is 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 Brisbane more like laid back, or you mean? I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a a bunch. It's just a city that kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's nothing that particularly interesting about it. Uh, I mean, it's just like most of Australia, there's predominantly white, then obviously uh, quite a lot of Asians uh, and Chinese immigrants. Um, and uh, it, it got really big and kind of boomed a bit because of mining in the 2000s. But other than that, it's just it's just a big city. Okay. Um, you said a lot of, there, there are a lot of Asian immigrants was your family also, did they immigrate recently or, or a long time ago? Or So I was born in Australia, but and my parents met in Australia, but they're both from, they're both from Hong Kong. So my dad, he was born in Hong Kong and he moved over to Australia when he was 24 uh, to study. He studied computer science. Uh, and so he, he came over by himself. He came over by himself as a uh, as an international student, and my and he met my mum at university. My mum and her whole family, which is uh, six of them, they moved to Australia from Hong Kong when they were when she was twelve or thirteen. Uh, so she's been in Australia for most of her life. So she speaks with almost an Australian accent, but my dad still has a lot of like Chinglish in him. So. Yeah, but I guess I'm a second generation. And yeah, there are a lot of Asian immigrants. But I guess there's like kind of two waves. There's the older wave, which is my parents. They came over like that. And then there's the new wave, which is like all the wealthy Chinese people who are now moving over. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that that's that's interesting. I, I thought I think I had talked to you previously about sort of your, your family and how they came over to Australia, but I, I, I never knew that like the age groups there and, and I didn't realize that your mom had been there so early. Um, so when you were in Brisbane, are, are there any sort of, um, and kind of growing up there and, and did you kind of pick up on any, you know, interesting like hobbies or sports? Like, do you, do you, isn't, is cricket big there? I, I don't actually know. Like, is that something you're interested in? No, or? cricket is big, but it is a little, uh, polarizing. Uh, I have, when I go back, I always like to watch and try to go to a game. But like out of like say ten friends, there might be four that are really into it, and then there's like five or six who think it's a piece of shit, and it's like really <laughs> no, no, nobody in the middle. Like it's just either yeah, it's kind of it is a bit a bit popular. Like people are like it's just boring. I never go watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, I I really do like it, um, and I played a little bit in school. I was terrible. Um, when you when you when you bowl when you throw the ball in cricket you need to actually keep your arm straight so it's not actually throwing you just need to rotate your arm around and I could it took me so long to like not throw the ball because when you throw you bend your elbow mm. but you have to keep your elbow straight so that was a big struggle for me um, but yeah I mainly in terms of hobbies I mainly played uh, tennis uh, because I'm really not that coordinated so turns out <laughs> I, I had to focus on one sport and just get lessons in that one sport to be any good at it um and then i did a lot of music stuff i played piano and i played trombone in a couple of ensembles in high school and i still play trombone now so yeah you still play uh venues around stanford right i, I think i i don't think i had a chance to see you while i was there but uh, uh, oh that you didn't miss out on much but <laughs> but uh Stanford is, yeah, pretty great. It's actually way better than my undergrad. I mean, it's just the whole kind of the way the American system works. Like, you come here, you can play in, I can play in, like, the orchestra, the jazz band, or whatever. So, yeah, it's really like I got another chance to go play in all these ensembles again, which is pretty great. That's pretty cool. So, I know these days, like, you're you're pretty big into cycling, I would say. So, was that something that started when you were younger, or is that, that also, like, a recent thing since you came to America? Uh, no, that always, it was kind of, I guess it was in me at, at some point. So right after I graduated from high school, I, I didn't have a driver's license, but I really just liked going places and exploring things. So I just, I remember one time I rode like 20K or I don't know, 15, 10 to 15 miles just 
on like different bike parts on a piece of shit like a Walmart bike <laughs> and but I thought it was great it took me forever but I just wanted to it wasn't anything interesting it was just like riding from I don't know Palo Alto to to like I don't know San Mateo on some some back road so it wasn't like I was climbing mountains or anything but I found that really interesting and then I ended up getting a, a road bike a very old road bike it cost me like 150 US dollars and I, I rode that for a bit. Um, I'd only do, I say only now, but to most people, this seems like a lot. I might do like at most uh, 80 to 100 miles a week. Probably not even that. I was doing like like 50, 50 to 80 miles a week. And I did that for a little bit. And I was also running. And this was a point because I, I, I was a bit fat in, in high school. And so I spent like the first year and a bit just like losing all that weight. It was probably like 20 pounds or so. Um, but then I got, I always liked riding. Um, and I think I, I like riding mainly because you can go to interesting roads and, and places, uh, that you, like, if you were just driving, there's like no reason you'd drive there, mm-hmm. uh, because it's just a road that kind of goes nowhere, but riding, you know, you're exercising, you just get to go. It doesn't even need to be that interesting for me. It's just a new road. It sounds, is interesting enough for me. Um, but then I went, got into doing gym and then I was kind of getting bigger and stronger and then it just kind of piles up and you realize, oh, you need to put all your effort into that. So then I worked out. I, that's basically all I did. I did like five or six workouts a week, uh, for like three years. Um, and I, my really good friend from school also did that. So we went to the gym all the time together and got pretty strong i think i was more suited to that than cycling but then when i came here i was like i guess like how i changed my nickname i was like i can do whatever i want (laughs) i'm not tied to anything so then i was like i'm gonna give this cycling thing a real good go and meanwhile while i was doing gym i always uh i always commuted but it was nothing ever like it was only like a five six mile commute longer than riding around stanford but not that much longer Hmm. um and then I, so I decided to really get into it here and that's when it kind of all exploded because you join the team and people are like, oh yeah, I just ride 200 miles a week. And I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> it's like, what, what ride are you doing this week? And it's like, not called a ride unless you do at least 60 to 80 miles. <laughs> so it's like this different mentality has taken over. And more recently, I'm, I'm really just, I'm not that fast. I'm not that, I think I'm just genetically not that good for like endurance sports. Uh, so I'm like in the, probably the bo- bottom 20 or 30% of people in the team, but I decided to give it a good, good go and like train a lot. So that's like 10, 10, 11 hours a week, which is maybe, uh, in kilometers is a bit over 200. So it's like 150 miles a week. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but I, I, I enjoy it even though I'm, I'm like not that good. I enjoy it cause it, it lets me get outdoors. I get to see new roads and, um, it's still pretty fast and it's fun to go fast. Yeah, that's really impressive. Yeah, the I feel like, I mean, I don't know what the weather's like in Brisbane. Maybe it was also equally as good there. And I think in general, at least my understanding of weather in Australia is that's pretty good. But yeah, Northern California weather is also like a really good place, I feel like, for you to get into cycling because yeah. the weather, oh man. It was uh, it was pretty good back, well, actually, it depends what you like. It's, it's really hot. So I was just back there in summer and most of the cyclists go out at 4 30 in the morning because that's when the sun comes up it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of we're just they don't put in daylight saving in the summer so the sun comes up super early and everybody rides between like 4 30 and 6 30 before oh, wow. it hits like kind of 80 degrees with humidity it's just not very pleasant it's doable you can ride in the middle of the day it's just not as nice uh, but then winter riding is great like you can just ride whenever and it's dry um but the road's the the, the 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 drivers aren't nearly as friendly uh, and and there's like not as many bike lanes really that, yeah. kind, of, that kind of surprised me because i think we tend to think of america as being yeah. kind of hostile to the existence i think of i think cycling. america maybe generally is but living here it's it's pretty great okay i mean and, and stanford's like another level like the, they just you can blow through every stop sign <laughs> on, on a bike yeah, to be, that's, to be clear, that's... The, far, the farmhouse podcast does not endorse blowing through every stop sign <laughs> on Stanford campus. Oh man, yeah, no, yeah. I I think in Cal, especially in like Northern California, you know, when I moved there, it didn't seem 
as though people were, you know, not used to bikers. I think everyone, maybe it's because there's more bike lanes and, and maybe it's because the weather's better. So there's just always people biking. But I generally got the vibe that people were pretty used to bikers here. Whereas in New Jersey, it's less, there aren't really bike lanes where I was from. It, you know, it wasn't, there are people who bike around, but it's only during certain parts of the year because it gets really cold in the winter. But yeah, that, that that's, that's, uh, that's really cool. Man, that's, I didn't realize how far you biked, but I also have no point of comparison for some of those distances in terms of biking. I mean, obviously I've driven those far, but so you've been in America now for, oh, wow. I guess what? Two and a half years. Two and yeah. Three. So yeah, two and a half years. is there anything like you've noticed that you really miss about home or Australia that, that maybe, you know, either we don't have in America or. Um, just something you miss about home or has it just been, you know, kind of all, all upside, all, all, you know, you've really liked moving here and it's just been a total positive experience for you. No, I've really enjoyed moving here. It's, it's great. It's definitely, uh, the positives have definitely outweighed the negatives. Uh, the only things I'd say I really miss, are the beach. So there is beach mm-hmm. here, but it's really, really cold. Yeah. <laughs> Because apparently Alaska just, you know, has so much cold water, it just yeah. decided to share it all with the entirety yeah. of the West Coast. So I went I went back, actually, oh, I went back in December, but I also went back in August, which is like the height of winter for us. <laughs> uh, in winter in inverted commas. Yeah. And like, I went swimming. It was, the water temperature was 20 or 21 degrees. What's that? It's like uh, 70? Yeah, almost about 70 degrees. And that was winter. And I was like, why did I never go swimming in winter? Because... <laughs> This is like really not cold at all. <laughs> and here in California, it's in the summer and you're like, you, if you go in, it's like the quick dip, like you run in for like half a minute and then you're just straight back uh-huh. out. So I, I miss, I, I guess I miss that. And also we just have, the the surf is a bit better and there's just more beaches that are more accessible. So that, that's fine. And then I had a, I have a good group of friends back there and uh, I also have, Lots of good friends here, I think, but uh, I guess it's just a different vibe. They, well, my most of my memories are kind of getting really drunk and going <laughs> down into the city or downtown, as you call it, and just like kind of clubbing or cl- clubbing in inverted. It was just like a bunch of guys getting drunk and and dancing, but that was that was kind of fun. And uh, yeah, I didn't I don't quite do that anymore here, so. I guess I kind of missed that, but that might also just because be because we're getting older. So yeah, that's yeah, I'm wondering if that's yeah is that like an Australian versus American thing, or like you're in grad school and now have like responsibilities and things to take care of? <laughs> no, but there was I mean there was a little bit like a couple of times who uh, there's like abs. Well, no, we just went out to the patio. Well, yeah, there was the patio. It was it wasn't quite the same. We did. Like, we used to kind of get dressed up and really get quite pissed. Oh, you don't say get pissed as much yet, but, like, get quite drunk kind of thing. Um, I mean, that done a couple of times, but it was, it was a bit different with those bunch of people. Oh, there was always the nut house. Yes, there was always the nut house as well. <laughs> not, the, not that Jordan has any stories from that. But. Don't. That's not. It doesn't need to be brought up here. I, put it this way. I'm like, I have not even been close to vomiting in the States. From alcohol, <laughs> that cannot be the, the same thing. Cannot be said for like when I live in Australia. And it's, I'm probably just getting older. It's weird because like me and Alex are both from New Jersey, and like compared to there, like alcohol culture here is super liberal. Like in Jersey, you can only buy alcohol in special stores that are like separate oh, from everywhere the, else. So not in the supermarket. No, not at all. Like yeah, it's the same in Australia. Yeah, you I have think to go to a yeah bottle shop. We came, we came here and like, so CVS is like the, you know, huge pharmacy chain and like we have them in New Jersey as well. And I went in there looking for just like band-aids or something at one point and they just got like shelves of hard liquor. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like, like, it, like my, my immediate thought was that like this CVS had like gone rogue and was like just somehow flouting liquor laws. But no, like that's just, that's just normal here. And then yeah, you go to Safeway and there's you know whole like like wood bookcase like style yeah. like alcohol section i guess to make you feel classier yeah. about oh it's convenient yeah <laughs> it, it is that yeah it is convenient but there's it's 
you know, there is something about walking out of a CVS with alcohol that makes you just go like, wait, hold on. What just happened? <laughs> something just happened and I'm not sure what. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do like that change. It's so much more convenient than the East Coast. I was not. <laughs> Ugh, it's so it's so archaic. Uh, Jono, so so some of those friends you were talking about back at, you know, back in Australia, I'd imagine a number of them are, are from you met in undergrad and you hung out with with in college. Where exactly did you go to college? Uh, in Aust- did you went you went in Australia, right? Yeah, yeah. We call it. We just call it uni, or uni. university. But I went to I went I went to college. Uh, <laughs> I went to college uh, at the University of Queensland, and I, in a kind of a funny way, I don't know if it was good or bad. Uh, most of my friend, like close friends, like there's eight, ten of them. There's like four or five that are actually from my high school. And so we all went and studied engineering together because we're from a big city and there's not this this culture of moving to study. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like it was a, a pretty good university. You wouldn't gain anything from moving like to another city because it was already a big city. So like most of us went there and then most of us did maths and physics. So then we ended up doing um, engineering there as well. So there were like five of us and then we picked up a couple of other people kind of into this close group of friends. Uh, so there's about like five of them, are five or six, four or five of them somewhere, like 60, 70% of them are from my high school. And then there's like the others that we picked up from the, the degree as well. Okay. I think Alex and I went to the, we actually went to the same high school that we were a couple of years Not uh, Not apart. the same, no, we were in the same district. I, I went to Triton. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We were okay. very close to going to the same high school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was, yeah. Um, but then like, yeah, so we didn't know each other then. And then we kind of, we ended up going to, um, yeah, like our, the closest university. And then, yeah, actually like basically. And then the furthest the, university. Yeah. And then, you know, like we, um, we both, I guess, applied to, to Stanford at the same time. And so, like, when you come for a visit day, they give you, like, the list of people that are, yeah. like, also going to be there. And, like, I think we both saw each other's name on the list and we're just like, that can't, like, oh, that's weird. That my my literal reaction name. was, hey, that guy has the same name as Jordan. <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think because, like, it had your full name on it. And that's when I found out that your middle name is Spalding. Yeah. And I and didn't I, know your middle name was Trent. So, well, yeah. But I, I felt like, <laughs> If I had had any inclination that your middle name was Spalding when I knew you in undergrad, I would have never stopped making fun of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just assumed that like, oh, okay, that can't be his middle name because I would have found out and then I would have been the world's most relentless bully that you have the same name as a basketball. <laughs> That's fine. Whenever I whenever I want to get under your skin, I just mention that you're older than me. Um, yeah, well. And you get real mad you know, every time. Just, that's just, you know. <laughs> maturity and you know <laughs> and wisdom yes yes thank you Donald. thank you for, uh, for respecting my authority <laughs> <laughs> but so so out of that group i mean it sounds like you you had you know kind of this strong continuing tie um so so what made you want to i mean one pursue a phd pursue it in you know a completely different country um and you know continue uh, along that track rather than I, I assume that, like, you know, the rest of your friends aren't here stealthily no. <laughs> as, like, <laughs> pretending to be Americans. Well, it's, it's funny you actually mentioned. So there's uh, one of my one of the friends in that close friends. He's actually in San Francisco. He okay. He's he's doing a startup, and then and his girlfriend. Well, his girlfriend now, and they were kind of off, and then back on. Well, they were off because he moved here, and then they're on because she moved here. So she she came over and did a coding boot camp. She's now here. So there's two of them out of that friend group and then one of my other uh, my actually probably my closest friend uh he did pretty well as well and he thought about doing a phd and he did the gre and he was like said he was going to apply but then he was a chicken i called him a coward coward. so the applications were last month and he didn't do it but he like and he was going to apply to stanford and, and mit so it might have been that we would have ended up with like four people out of out of 10 like over here just in the bay area but it's at the moment it's just uh, three of us um but I, I i wanted to do the phd basically it just because i'm a big nerd um <laughs> and i i i think i am still a big nerd here because i like i like taking them the math the maths classes um i like doing the proofs and finding out how everything works oh you are a nerd 
Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I thought I'd find more nerds here. I have, but really not that many. Uh, they don't tend to get out much. No. <laughs> so uh, I did a few internships, and uh, it was it became clear to me that like working, I was not going to satisfy this like, nerdiness that I wanted. Um, and then I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a PhD eventually because I need to like kind of get this nerdiness out of me. Uh, well, not well, like just I wanted to investigate this stuff further and then it occurred to me i think in like a year before i was about to graduate it was six or seven months that i that the best time to do a phd was straight after my undergrad like i am still not tied down to anything there's like more mobility and i have all my professors around me to get letters so mm-hmm. easier and i was always going to do it overseas uh, because i wanted to go overseas i never got to do a exchange or a study abroad because my mum wanted me to help my brother through school which sounds ridiculous but if you're from like an Asian household that makes like perfect sense <laughs> um, so then I compensated so instead of doing like a, a semester on exchange I'm just doing a whole PhD overseas um, and I mean I got good enough grades so it was kind of like why not uh, go to a big name school um, though when, when you're here it doesn't when you're doing your research, it doesn't really feel like, oh, I'm doing something that's really cool. It's just like, oh, it's just another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice being here. And, and it pays really well uh, compared to... Actually, America pays... If you if you do get money, America pays much better than anywhere else in the world. And I've talked to people from Europe uh, as well who say the same thing. That's why they didn't go to like the big-name universities in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. But that's also very much dependent on, on getting that money. Yeah, you yeah. either you either get paid very well or you you have to pay a lot of money. So yeah, yeah, kind of kind of a risk reward thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's so. What are you working on your in your research right now? Like, if that's something that you're comfortable about talking about yeah, before yeah. publication. Yeah. No, there's I I don't have any. They wouldn't let me do anything secret. I'm Australian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I work in computational fluid dynamics, so that's um, running a writing programs and running simulations to see um, how air typically or any kind of fluid uh, flows over a body. I mean, aerospace is normally normally an aeroplane, but it could be anything. Um, and the lab I'm in, we do kind of the more fundamental things. So we don't spend as much time running simulations as we do modifying and thinking about what we can do to the algorithms behind it and then programming those changes in and then testing them. Um, I mean, that's a kind of a, uh, a more high-level thing, uh, description of what I do. So I'd say at the moment, like, I spend, you know, 60% of my time programming, like, 20% of the time running simulations, and the other 20% of my time, I don't know, I'm supposed to be reading papers, but I don't really read enough papers, probably. <laughs> they can be a bit dry. Yeah. A little bit. So that's, you guys do most of your coding in... C++? Yeah, it, it's, all of it's in C++. And then, like, I mean, if I need to plot something or post-process something, I'm going to use Python. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to say MATLAB. Py- but Python's good for that, too. Um, I just have yeah. I have a slight bias there. But, yeah, Py- Python's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you get into, you know, compute, you know, CFD? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So I, I liked, obviously, I said before, I liked maths. But... Uh, for some reason, I didn't quite like, you know, pure maths. Or maybe it was because it was too difficult for me and I just didn't do it. <laughs> I liked it, but like I didn't like it enough. Um, and I, I, I liked programming. And I think there is part of me, I always thought, you know, that I was like, oh, I don't care about the application. I just want to do cool things. But I think it is kind of cooler and it is more motivating when you're running a simulation and it's predicting something that could possibly be useful mm-hmm. maybe if you're lucky um so yeah the combination of doing maths doing uh programming and simulating something um but even when you're studying mechanical engineering there's like lots of different things you can simulate uh, but i thought f- when studying all the different things i thought fluids was the most uh non-intuitive um and difficult and so i think i don't know that was that was uh, made it more attractive because I don't know, structures seem too easy, though, you know, people who do solid mechanics would, would beg to differ. Yeah, uh, I think they would they would argue that that's not true. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a difficult problem, and I get to program and do math, so that's that's why I chose it. 
And um, yeah, actually, in my second or third year, I thought I liked FEA, um, like for structures. Um, but then I don't know. I did. I think I did some course or or I no. We actually we had one course in our in our uh, department. A CFD course, which is I found out quite rare in Australia. We're like one mm. or two universities because we have a lab that does hypersonics, and so I took the course, and then I then I decided to do my undergrad thesis because we have a, a year long thesis at the end of it. I did CFD and I liked it, and I came here and I kept on doing CFD. So that's how it happened. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think I, especially with the structures versus fluids debate, that there is a tendency among some engineers to prefer fluids because it has less of the like. I have to deal with humans problem and I'm building this to deal with humans and these things have to be up to scale <laughs> to keep humans alive. Uh, whereas fluids is just, you know, we're modeling how this thing flies or how it moves or how, it, you know, engines work and that sort of thing. So I, I definitely can see the differences between the two. I think there's definitely, you know, everyone, I feel like everyone feels like there's a, a hierarchy of, of engineering disciplines and everyone feels like their own discipline is at the top. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you go and talk to, to civil engineers and they think, <laughs> oh, you guys just, you guys don't have to deal with codes and all that. You just build oh, your, your, your aircraft structures. Oh, oh am I? I'm back. I'm back. We're back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you deal with civil engineers and, you know, they're like, oh, you guys don't have to deal with codes and all that. You just design as you like and you know as long as it flies that's all that matters and then you know mechanical engineers are like oh you guys don't do the actual real detailed you know down down to the base level thermodynamics and then we're like well we don't really care our stuff flies you guys just sit around on the ground and that makes us cooler and so i think yeah fea gets kind of a the short stick is in, in a lot of aerospace circles um but like with with your research going on now do you are there any like uh conferences coming up or like papers that you're working on that you know you're excited to talk about uh yeah i i i do have a couple of conferences i don't feel that excited about them <laughs> <laughs> i i haven't actually i haven't published anything or i haven't been to any conferences yet but i did a lot of work last year uh so there's the coupled methods and it's called coupled not because like you go as a couple but because mm. <laughs> uh it's, it's like two kinds of physics problems like a fluid problem coupled with a structure problem for example uh, so that one's in Barcelona, oh, uh, which is uh, a lot of fun and kind of funny because it'll be the third time I'm going to Spain in a year <laughs> for three separate reasons. Um, and then the next one, there's one in, so that's in June, and then there's one in Texas in uh, in July, which is... Uh, oh, is that aviation? No, 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 it's not aviation. It's <clears throat> uh, computational mechanics. Okay. Um, so I'll probably be presenting the same thing. Uh, um, but I'm not that excited because uh, just working with my professor, when you make a presentation, you have to put so much work into it because there's so much back and forth. You send him one thing and then he, and he says, you need to change all this. You send him another thing so they could change all this. So it's just a lot of work and you don't feel like you're doing anything productive. You feel like you're just like changing font sizes and colors. Around. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm already dreading that, but uh, I also got to get some some. Like I've got some results, but I want to get some. Well, I always want to get some better results out. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, and then, not we're not. I'm not going to publish anything in those conferences. I think, but we also there's on the same topic. I want to get a paper out. So I'm supposed to be working on that as well. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That that's that's great. That's uh, sounds like you got a lot ahead of you. <laughs> um, so before we move, we've talked a lot about science, and uh, before we move on to the second half, sort of the podcast, which is more discussion based, uh, I do have one more question on this this sheet. Uh, in our sort of notes. Um, and I'm just going to read it verbatim from what I have written down here. Yeah. Um, what the fuck is Vegemite? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty great food. Uh, <laughs> it sounds weird. It's a pretty great spread to put on, on bread. So it, it's it, what they call it, like a, a yeast-based or yeast extract oh, spread. God. <laughs> oh, it's, it's black and it's, uh, it's very oh. salty. And it's kind of funny. So when growing up, I used to go to this uh, after school care thing and they had sandwiches and <laughs> they'd like have a jam sandwich, which is really easy to see because it's red. And they'd have uh, another kind of uh, funny Australian sandwiches. Uh, like a, it's called fairy bread. 
Uh, it's where you have you put butter on it and then you sprinkle uh, hundreds and thousands. I don't know if you call it that. They're like, or is it just called sprinkles? Yeah, either sprinkles or jimmies, depending on yeah. what context so you you're put in. That, so that's called fairy bread, and that's really easy to see. And then they'll have a, a Vegemite sandwich and a, and a Nutella sandwich. But, <laughs> but you see, see, they're very similar. Um, but so, you know, when you're, when you're young and you don't quite realize, you'll accidentally get a Vegemite sandwich instead of a Nutella one. But after a while, you're like, you can distinguish the different shades of brown. Um, I didn't like it at first growing up, but then um, I started having... So it, it tastes a lot better if you put butter on mm. and then you put some Vegemite on, not too much because you don't... Otherwise, it's really salty. And then you put a piece of like really shitty processed cheese on. Okay. And then it tastes really good. And then after a while, I just... With the cheese thing, and then I started liking it, and then I could just start having Vegemite just on toast by itself. But I do really like Vegemite. I had a had a little jar when I first came over, but I guess I don't like it that much because I never went and bought another one. Mm-hmm. I ran out of that after like a couple of months. But yeah, uh, it's probably as polarizing as cricket. <laughs> oh, okay. Is there anything comparable taste wise that we might have tried that it tastes like, or is it? No, I don't think so. There there was something in the UK called Marmite for a while, which I think was pretty similar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. All right, cool. Well, we'll we'll take a quick break here and be right back with everyone listening at home. Hey everyone, I actually pranked you there. I'm staying around and I have a couple of things I need to read to you guys and then we'll get right back to the episode. Pranked you. So, first of all, Thank you so much for listening, and, and thank you to Jono for being on the show. He's a great friend, great guy. We're really lucky to have had him on. And I think everyone listening is really going to enjoy the second half of this episode, which is coming up a little bit. Thank you also to Andy G. Cohen. His music is on the Free Music Archives and is used in this podcast. Uh, two different songs are used and edited in here. We've got Just a Blip off the album Through the Lens and Scramby Eggs off the album Layers. Those can be found in the Free Music Archives, as I mentioned, and there should be a better description and a link in the podcast description. If you are interested in learning more about us or this podcast or following us in some way, we would certainly appreciate that. You can find us on thefarmcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook by looking up at the Farmcast. We are we took a hiatus uh, recently again. As you may have noticed, there was not no episodes for a little while. We hope to, for at least the next month or two, have a more regular release schedule for you. Jordan has a less heavy schedule in grad school of classes, so he has more time to be able to do stuff like this. So hopefully it should be on a relatively good schedule with a new episode coming out roughly every other week. I don't want to declare any specific date that they'll be coming out just because I don't know what my schedule will be like and things may change, but that is currently the plan. Uh, thank you again so much for listening. Uh, if you'd be willing to share this in any way with other individuals, we'd certainly appreciate it. We're trying to branch out and get a bigger audience, but that obviously takes time. But if you think someone would be interested in listening to our podcast, you know, hit them up, tell us about it, t- tell them about us, and you know, make a new friend. Uh, anyway that's all we got for you today Uh, I'm going to let you get back to the episode thanks for tuning in and uh, I'll talk to you next time bye bye welcome back everyone alright so so for our second half here um, you know this is kind of an auspicious time in in a couple different ways Um, here we are Coming up on the, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, um, and generously, I think each of us has about 50 years left in our career. So we're, <laughs> we're in some ways in kind of like a like a midpoint in you know human space exploration, at least from from our personal point of view. And uh, Australia recently decided to get in on the the space game and founded the Australian Space Agency in in 2018. Yes, they you did. Know. A little, little, little bit later than a lot of other countries. <laughs> Although that's the, yeah, I was, I was reading that like you guys had a, like a space office until like 1996. At which point, everyone just kind of decided, oh, we're not really about this whole space thing, so let's just <laughs> shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I guess the the broader question I kind of wanted to talk about is is like what 
major milestones in space exploration like would you be excited to see or do you want to see like in the time of our career so like not now until like 2068 or 2069 i guess is is the the outlier because you know i think most of us are expecting to see a mars landing at some point yeah you know in the in the relative future but i guess a little bit further out is you there mean anything a human? like yeah yeah not like a robot yeah because you know it's robots are nice but you know it's it's nice to to think about actual people going up there but so yeah anybody got got some immediate thoughts about like what what you want to see before you know we get handed that gold watch and told to go home because <laughs> i'm sure that that'll still be a thing in 2068 <laughs> will be will be gold watches and retirement parties i mean i, I i'm interested more interested in the fact that there's been a lot of talk at least from what i've heard in the past that building a more permanent structure on the moon as a launching off point for mars missions and that sort of thing and mm-hmm. i think like in terms of interest to me i i am totally on board and interested in, in a lot of the research that have been put into that because it feels like such a better idea. Um, and this is going to probably sound like a weird way of putting it, but economically, just because it's so much easier to get things off of the moon than the earth. So if there, you know, there's resources there that we can use and, and if we're able to take advantage of those resources and use them to get off the moon once we're there and, and build something, you know, somewhat more permanent there, then that's a really better way to handle it, I think. Is there anybody working on putting more infrastructure on the moon? There's been some. So I visited um, years ago. Um, this was probably uh, like four, almost four years ago um uh kennedy space center and there was a group there called swamp works and i know one of the things swamp they were works yeah swamp works it's a great name it's a great <laughs> name um and they're you know they're they're an actual nasa group that, that just you know inside uh kennedy and one of the things they were working on was essentially a way to build a structure out of moon-based materials that are readily available so you know moon rock and that sort of thing um, with robotics prior to human arrival so that when you know humans land there it's not like they're building the structure the structure is there they just go inside when they land okay and i found it really really fascinating and also just a really i mean that just seems like the correct way to do it you don't want to put someone there and then say all right now build your building you want the building there so, yeah, so it's they, not like Minecraft and you show up and you have to build your own house yes, before yes. the monsters show up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds crazy. But I guess it's still way more feasible than actually like flying a whole structure. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why. And I think one of the one of the really interesting things about a moon base is I saw a paper a little while ago that like because there's no magnetosphere on the moon and because you know there's no what's atmosphere a, what's a magnetosphere like there's no like big magnetic field oh, right okay, like okay. in the way there is around yeah. the earth um and because there's you know no atmosphere and gravity is much lower you can feasibly build a space elevator on the moon with kevlar like rather than having to like go to carbon nanotubes or some other you know random crap um so like like yeah you could you could Aside from just like the the raw physics of right of like getting out of, um, you know, the moon's gravity well to get to Mars or anywhere else rather than Earth, like the fact that you can do it with a space elevator rather than a launch vehicle relatively feasibly means that like that like the moon is is just in in so many ways like once you can kind of make that first step and have like a spaceport on the moon, it it just makes everything else so so much easier than trying to do everything from earth. I'm super curious about that article you read Jordan because one of the things that immediately popped into my head when you said that was did they take into account the you know lack of general atmosphere on the moon and the fact that presumably and I'm not an expert in the subject but presumably more micrometeorites and that sort of thing would you know, be able to hit the moon or, or, you know, reach this space elevator than they would on Earth? Did they sort of take that into account? Oh, uh, yeah. I guess that's... So I think because I, I'm... I or was it just, yeah, well, we can structurally do it because of gravity. You know what I mean? I th- yeah, I think I think it was mostly like a structural study. Okay, um, gotcha, gotcha. I don't, I don't think that like meteorite uh, impact was that heavily um, involved in it. And I would think, 
know. I guess like hopefully you would kind of be able to see. I mean, micrometeorites are always a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big problem. But like, yeah. I don't know. I would. I would hope that like could build a fence around like, <laughs> <laughs> like a cat like a catchment or a catch mesh but i mean i think it's just like one of those um like compared to earth right the space elevator discussion in a sense is like like it it's just such a monumental engineering challenge that i get like that like that is one of those things that i think really optimistically in 50 years maybe we could do a space elevator on earth but that's that's assuming we make the essentially the kind of leaps that we made, you know, from like 1908 to 1968, right? From like first flight with the Wright brothers to landing on the moon. Like if we make those same kind of leaps between, you know, 2019 and 2069. Yeah. But do we have anything that's comparable to a space elevator right now? Uh, let's see. Do you mean like on Earth? Because <laughs> no. <laughs> Or do you mean like someone working on it? Well, no, in the sense that you said like, you know, the Wright brothers had a plane that could fly. Yeah. Is there anything that, I don't, well, we I don't elevators, know. but they're not like space elevators. Yeah, but I don't know how much I would compare a Wright flyer to the Saturn V. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, they're a little different. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean. I, I mean, I, one of the better things I think is creating a more economic way of doing it. And obviously SpaceX has been doing that quite well. Um, but when that doesn't rocket chips aren't falling over. Yes, they're falling over much less. <laughs> um, well, no, the the new like the new Starship, like the giant one that they just built a prototype of in Texas. Yeah, they forgot to like strap it down or support Are it. Are you kidding so me? Got, yeah, it got blown over by oh there was God. like a storm, not like a major oh storm, but like a moderate God. storm, and their spaceship got blown over and just just fell <sighs> onto its side. They just do so many things right, and then they just do yeah. that, right? Like it's yeah. like. But oh, I mean, I guess man. like the closest is like, like one, um, there's like the Burj Khalifa, right? And like, like big towers like that, yeah. um, are getting into like some really exotic engineering solutions with like mass stampers. And I think the Burj Khalifa in particular is designed so that from like side on it, like it's an airfoil designed to shed vortices. So like in in the wind it's designed to like move back and forth and rather than like just bear the the raw load wow. of the drag like it's designed to hit a point where it starts to bend back the other way and like shed a vortex off of it and like so like if you if you like look top down like you'll see like a Noller Betts uh Katzmeyer thing that's pretty cool like happening behind it yeah and then there's now like if you look at the New York skyline there's this new building that everyone hates because it's right on the edge of central park but it's like 432 park avenue or something and it's like super slender like it's got like a literal like slenderness ratio that is like orders of magnitude higher than any other building so on the world so it looks like a stick yes yes quite literally let me see if i can pull up a picture uh but yeah it like there, there have been a few just just in the last like 10 years or so like real breakthroughs in um yeah, here we go. Structural is, work, even if it's not yeah, directly like just, related just in to space. Yeah. Structural design. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So like you can see like the surrounding, um, you know, New York City skyline. Yeah, I can see why a lot of people might not like that. Yeah, yeah, because it, it it's literally. I mean, you know, getting back to Minecraft, it looks like somebody just built, like, tried to see what's the biggest tower I can build in Minecraft. Um, but that's the thing is, it's now like because you can pack them that much denser and taller. Oh wow, that is right? ugly. like. Yeah, pe- people are worried that like that's essentially just going to trend like every new building in Oof. New York is going to be like that. I mean, that's I don't uh, blame them for building them like that, considering you need to make things compact when there's so many people around. But man, it's hideous. Oh, yeah. I can see what you're saying. You know, that's one step towards a space elevator. Yeah, I mean, in, in the abstract sense, at least. Um, <laughs> I think, but that's the because because yeah because the other thing is it it ideally has to be built out of a non-conductive material on earth because if you just run like a wire up through the magnetosphere which you have to in order to properly anchor it then the the induced current is enough to melt anything that we have at the moment Jeez. like there's nothing you can oh my yeah. god <laughs> like just from having a, a material and that's the thing is, is like kevlar isn't strong enough on earth but it would be on the moon but like that's the thing on earth 
like carbon nanotubes have like the requisite um i think like strength and stiffness mm-hmm. but they're they're damn near superconductors so if you run them through the magnetosphere it just turns into a giant oh, live wire oh my god that, wow that completely destroys it that's crazy yeah but um, yeah i think the moon base for me is also something i would i would really like to see i, like, I think it's uh, sorry you go jenna how would the 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 nanotube wire like how if you're building it, when would it like kind of fail and destroy itself as you were? Well, I think, well, this this gets like, remember the, the, we had a a quals exam question that was like, what is a structure that would collapse under its own weight? Uh, Like the maximum? Yeah. Like they, you can do like that sort of theoretical calculation to figure out. And that's like people who know more about this than me. Cause the thing is, cause you have to anchor a space elevator at, the other end, it has to be in geosynchronous orbit, yeah. which for Earth is what, like forty thousand miles or something above. So, like, it has to it has to be that tall, just so that there's not like, just so it doesn't start to bend. You know what I mean? And like wobble and, and yeah. do this all this other crap. Um, and so, something that you know is strong enough can be long enough. And that's you know obviously the big problem with carbon nanotubes is we can't build them longer than like a centimeter right now <laughs> so you know forty thousand miles is a stretch yeah, so there's a few more problems than just the conducting yeah yeah and so so yes yeah, so i think that that's to me is part of why a moon base is exciting is because yeah just things are easier and, and so you can kind of get more going yeah the feasibility like, and i think like much like how you know astronauts aboard the iss have hugely increased our ability to deal with squishy water sack humans in space <laughs> I, I think that also having humans on the moon would also further help that and create more opportunity for us to learn well how can we deal with environments that aren't exactly equal to earth's atmosphere and our gravity and and all these other things um so i think that's also kind of the reason i'm excited about it because that's that's one thing we, we've talked to a couple of different people who have come from nations and countries without much indigenous aerospace industry yeah so is that like do you want to see like australia build more of like a space industry like in and of itself i think i think it's it's too small (laughs) so we've only got 24 million people uh that's that's uh much smaller than california uh what is the population of california it's like uh is it 40 million or something that's I don't know. Uh, Alex, we'll, we'll edit out the time that it's taking me to Google this. <laughs> no, I think it's... Yeah, oh, yeah. no. I'm, if you ask me to edit something out, I'm specifically always going to leave it in. Um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Good to know that in the future. But yeah. Yeah. California is just under 40 million people. Yeah. Yeah. That so sounds it, about it's, right. it's too small. And there's just like... It's going to take a huge amount of cultural change. Everybody... I didn't actually study aerospace in, in Australia, but I did mechanical. A lot of my friends did aerospace was attached. But there are so many people who had like... We're kind of like the people here, you know, who are really interested in space exploration, know, <clears throat> like, you know, spend their time drawing planes. Well, there's a, one person I'm thinking of in particular. <laughs> um, they existed, but then very soon they kind of get disillusioned with the whole thing <sighs> because there's, there's just not much of an industry there. And if you go work at Boeing, you're like selecting out nuts and bolts and uh, that kind of stuff. So it's it, it's kind of a little depressing in a way uh, if you have that big aerospace dream. Um, and then I have one friend who, who really used to be into it. I'm like, you should come over here. It's great. Everybody's still kind of excited. Uh, but then he's like, oh, but you know, like the ITI uh, restrictions, like, you know, I've got to be American, which is another thing that's kind of true. So no, I, I, I don't think I really want to see Australia uh, kind of, I don't think it's the best way to utilize that talent. I just think uh, that the people who do really want to do it, they need to, well, not they need to, perhaps there should be just easier ways for them to kind of move around and get to those places and contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people kind of just give up and they're like, oh, well, I can't do it in Australia. Well, maybe you need to move somewhere else. But then it's also quite restrictive because of the you know, defense and all that kind of stuff. But you can do it. I mean, I, my professor, he, he worked at NASA for a bit. So, yeah, I think that's a better that better way to use that talent. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm wondering because, like, I mean, now, obviously, NASA has been, you know, rolling for for a while, and then the European Space Agency, you know, is is pretty well established in Japan, and now Australia is is starting up. Yeah. I'm wondering, 
like, is there any precedent or history of like international agencies cooperating on like larger missions? Like, obviously, there's the International Space Station, but I'm wondering if in the future we should expect to see either greater cooperation between like international space agencies or like will these be like well, it, india is it, also a big player yeah yeah that's that's is it is it isro is their their space agency i think I indian space research organization i i don't i i honestly have no idea how much they cooperate is it just a surface level cooperation at the moment i i mean that's that's the thing is is, is i feel like it, you know there were, there was definitely a time like obviously the, the international space station is representative of the idea that at one point like space was going to be you know the the great cooperative expansion of humanity out into the world and we have like the outer space tree that says that like no single nation can claim land or territory you know anywhere outside of, outside of earth and so but it does seem like we are heading more towards like just individual nations developing space capacity and and i'm wondering if like part of that 50 year timeline is going to be like like a new competition for like land and space and and establishments on the moon at some point but is it yeah is it not like isn't space intrinsically linked to kind of defense interests though which yeah. is like if you make a rocket you can use that rocket to yeah, yeah. stuff up which is why it's always everybody's always wants to work by themselves in a way yeah i mean i think that's part of why like why australia is starting up the the asa again because like back in the 90s there was a lack of commitment or interest from like the defense um department on there but now i think there's definitely more of a realization of a need to be competent in space operations yeah honestly i don't know i i did read the article when it came out and then I remember talking to my friend, his name's Ben, He's re- he was really, in- he went to all these like conferences uh, when he was uh, in undergrad, but now he's just a, a consultant at like KPMG or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he saw it, he was like, yeah, no, nah, this is not going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's oh. so unfortunate. Yeah. But I don't know, I, honestly, I haven't read about what's happened to that agency or what they're doing. Well, I don't. I don't think they have a headquarters yet. I think they've picked out a spot for one, but they haven't built it yet. So. I feel like it, it might have a website. Probably, you know, that's that's how you get started these yeah. days. You know, you build your website first, and then, you know, then you build your space agency. Well, what I think would be cool, but I, I don't know, like how achievable this is, is if, if we if we made communication with another civilization, that'd be really cool. But okay. I, I think that's more like it's just going to luckily happen or something. <laughs> well, I know there was because like the SETI initiative has been going on for for years and years now, and the, I think they it? the the search for extraterrestrial oh, intelligence, okay. which is basically a bunch of radio telescopes like trying to detect signals from outside of Earth, and like every once in a while, like they get you know some kind of signal that they're like, oh, this came from somewhere, and it doesn't look <laughs> you know supernatural, and then. Usually it just turns out to be a discovery of like a new type of star formation or something that's like putting out weird radio signals. But have, Still have cool, they, but different yeah. cool. They have found like, have they not found like really kind of single cell organisms or just bacteria in, a, in different, or have they only found traces of it? I think it, it's like they found like everything that they think should be necessary to generate life. Okay. Um, like I think even very recently they found like tardigrades um in like deep antarctic ice in in kind of the same conditions that like they could be in the po- the martian polar ice caps yeah. and so like it's it's one of the like we haven't found it yet but it's like we haven't found anything that says like okay they're definitely like the moon obviously right like there's no life there there's almost certainly never been life there but mars in particular it's like well all the things that seem to support life on Earth seem to have existed on Mars at some point. So where's the life? But I don't know. Maybe, maybe they made contact with a with an extraterrestrial civilization, and that's why they're not there anymore. <laughs> God, that's probably find, it. Yeah, that'd be great to just find out we're just round two in like oh, no. intergalactic whack-a-mole. Oh no! <laughs> well, if they did, if they did play the whack-a-mole game they did a really good job at cleaning yeah. it. <laughs> that's true they did an extremely good job cleaning it up 
Yeah, I feel like in especially in like the eighties and nineties, like with the the shuttle program and things like that, there was definitely a time where I think people were were kind of really excited about the prospect of me, you know, meeting alien life, and we had tons of movies and just just cultural, you know, engagement in the idea of like meeting alien life. And I feel like just after it didn't happen for like twenty or thirty years, people were like, "All right, well, you know." Time to start thinking about the next thing. And then I guess the internet came along and that got everybody excited. <laughs> I, I can't remember any of the numbers, but like even if we were to fly to another kind of solar system, like like the chances of finding life there yeah. is so low, right? It's, yeah. It's really like searching for, like I don't know, not even a needle in the haystack. It's yeah. worse, way worse than that. It's like a needle molly, like a single metallic molecule <laughs> in a haystack. Uh, yeah well hopefully at least we get to see some sort of cool you know moon mission or or some sort of even if it's just a new iss or something along those lines because they're gonna have to take the iss down at some point Um, or the iss will take itself yep yup hopefully we get to see something like that in our lifetimes and and preferably sooner than later but uh, uh, until then i i you know I don't, I don't, I can't, it's hard to predict so far in the future because you always hear something new is planned and then it gets pushed back, so. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you think of private space flight? Would you go up for fun? Oh, Jesus. I probably wouldn't be the first one. Yeah, put no. It that way. <laughs> I, I, I'd wait for the safety factor to get higher for the astronaut not to be the most dangerous profession, like, on the planet. Yeah. Um, mortality rate wise and then once it reaches a bit safer like plane level like yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> 100% what is the mortality rate is it that bad it's I mean per since so few go up and there's been especially during the shuttle era and obviously earlier than that there were just so many yeah m- deaths that mm-hmm. the small quantity of people go up in total it, it's a very high ratio of people who don't necessarily come back so you- Quick, quick, uh, well, this is coming off of Stack Exchange and Quora, but it looks like the odds of a fatal mission accident are somewhere around 1 in 62. Yeah. It's, so, like, it's, like, a bit more than a percent, but not quite 2%. That's like, not too bad. Yeah, yeah. It's not that bad, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't sound that bad, but I'm pretty sure, like, otherwise, you know, your mortality rate is several orders of magnitude lower than that <laughs> yeah i would argue that day. going to going to work that day it's not that yeah. high so i mean people freak out about like cars and i think like auto fatality rates are on the order of like a thousandth of a percent or like you know like one in ten thousand um, yeah or one in a hundred thousand yeah. or something like that so one in 62 does start to look a little <laughs> intimidating <laughs> yeah what's that game you play when you're like you say the number like what are the odds you do this like would you you know the game, right? I don't think so. I, so I you, think I know. I think I know the you, you about. You both say a number, and if you say the same number, then you have to do it. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds We played this once uh, after, I think it was after, maybe it was right before we graduated. I, I don't know if you were there, Jono, but a couple of us were playing it over over at, uh, I don't even remember where we were at. <laughs> but we had but he had beers and someone said something about hot sauce at one point yeah, i was gonna it, say did, so. did something horrible enough happen for you to need to block it out of your memory uh i won and someone else had to drink some hot sauce so it was oh. fine for me uh so the ch- there's always like so many challenges right but how do you play it so you try to like oh would you drink a bottle of hot sauce and you say what are, what are your odds and they'll say like one in ten or something do you play it twice so that the other person the person you originally proposed it has to have a risk of losing it. i think the person the way we were playing was the person who loses had to do it but who loses you say like one in ten so, and then so you the say person another. guessing if they guess wrong they have to do it if they guess right the other person has to do it oh so someone has significantly better odds uh, oh wow <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah. not how i yeah that's that's it. risky as well that's that's risky yes yes one person is very risk averse and the other person isn't <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think I think on the you know the conclusion that none of us are that optimistic about the Australian space agency's <laughs> chances of sorry revitalizing, yeah, <laughs> of revitalizing space travel in the twenty first century. Never, I mean, it, they could put kinda, the first kinda, kangaroo in space. Oh god! <laughs> like you just know it's like not going to really kind of. Well, it's hard for it to take take off when everybody who's interested in space around you is like not interested. 
Yeah, so, that's fair. But would they be more interested if it existed? I don't know. Maybe a more naive. You need a more naive group of individuals to start pushing it. So children. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. that's generally how exactly. how NASA has done it. Is yeah. You know, inspire the children and then wait for them to grow up and get authority over We're your budget. We're not nearly as good at, at, at brainwashing as the United States. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I heard you guys say the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, like, oh no. Yeah. Oh, Is it every God. morning? Yes. That's yes. Like, it, it seems like kind of absurd. Every us. morning for like the first 18 years of well, your you life. You don't know that it's absurd for the first 18 yeah. years of your life. No. You have no idea how weird that is. And then you grow up and you see shit about like North Korea and stuff yeah, doing stuff. And you're like, yeah. wait a second. What the like, fuck wait, was I wait. doing? Yeah. Didn't realize that the States did what you know, North Korea presumably does as well. Yeah. I feel like if, if you like just showed me a video of, of kids saying the Pledge of Allegiance Except it was in North Korean, right? Like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's totally what I expect out of a repressive dictatorship. I was like, <laughs> oh, wait, so hold on. Hold on. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That was, oh, that was a good yeah. tangent to end on. Y'all want to wrap this up? Yeah, I think I think on that that note that, you know, we're, we're all hopeful that, that space exploration will, will continue to grow and expand in the future. Yeah, SpaceX just needs to not, you know, forget yeah, to just, strap down their rockets. and Yeah, keep your rockets up straight. Yeah, um, exactly. Start your space agencies in countries that care about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, go to the moon. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not that hard, NASA. God. <laughs> Get on it. All right. All right. Well, I've been Alex Hobbs. I've been Jordan Smart. And I'm Jonathan. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Farmcast. We'll talk to you later. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.